the so-called investigators manipulate their questions to obtain the answer that they seek. A lot of it was made up, too. It was like, I was right there, and some people were saying stuff that didn't even happen. That's just really a one-sided perspective of what actually was going on. That is not something that I heard this gentleman say. When he got back up, did he go into any kind of a fighting stance? or? All right, and I just saw the whole thing, and it was just bam, bam, that quick. There wasn't much time. He started towards them, it was like they were gonna touch soon, you know, so they were close and by like what I remember, I felt like they were very close. I don't get it, because I was barbecuing with some child and his family. There were a couple of tables away from us and then within an hour to get shot by Officer Keller. It's like, how the hell is that possible? I believe this was uh execution homicide in public. The one officer that pulled the trigger said fuck and put his hand on his head. Well, let's remember that the mayor basically started everything. Today is July 4th, 2019. The time is 1429 hours. This is Detective Jason Rowe of the Washington State Patrol. I'm at the Paulsville Fire Department interviewing Mayor Rebecca Erickson. And Mrs. Erickson, do you understand this is a recorded statement? Yes, I do. What happened was um, I was walking through the crowd and um, talking to people and who is uh, part of the Viking Fest Corporation uh, came up to me, um, he was upset and said uh, there's a guy over there tweaking really badly, can you go get a cop? And I said to uh, which guy? I didn't know who it was, and he says, that guy. And I said, do you mean mm. the guy with the black cap? I think it was black cap turned backwards, I think. That's mm. do you need you, and he said, yes. And I said, and I always seemed upset and worried. And so I said, sure. And uh, I walked very quickly through the crowd um, to the police wagon, which was located in the center of the festival area. Uh, talked to Kelly Zemond and uh, I'm not sure which officer I talked to. Uh, I talked to one of the Paulsville police officers and said, you know, I just got told there's a guy down there from that has that's problematic trouble and he's tweaking, tweaking badly, um, and he's wearing a black cap and he's and the officer said to me, where is this? And I said, down by the sign that says Viking Brew. There was a beer, what did it say, Viking Brew? I think it said Viking, a big sign down at the end of the parkway, that would be the north end, where there was a beer garden sponsored by the Sons of Norway. And then the police left the two of them and headed that direction. I mean, just off the top of my head, maybe it was around 1700, Okay. maybe 18. Um, we were actually, a. a we were down by our police trailer, right there in, on the parking lot of Anderson Parkway. Okay. And uh, the the mayor of Polsbo actually approached us and said that she was flagged down um, about uh, a male who was acting strange. And uh, she said he's possibly on narcotics or something to that effect. So me and uh, Officer Tracy Powell uh, we head out on foot in that direction, and they, she just gave us a description of a of a guy wearing a black hat sideways. Just so I ask, either during the first or second 
contact did you observe or did anyone remark about seeing anything any sort of like pre-attack indicators was he concealing his hands is he taking a bladed stance or was there any sort of behavior that was kind of creating any, any sort of unease for you no okay just kind of like a generic social contact and the guys mm -hmm. okay i just want to talk to you real quick so we, we've been getting quite a few quite a few people just concerned about you okay Concerned about you that you're, you know, eyeballing people, staring people down, and just looking around. And okay. Kids, you know. So I, I, you're yeah. making the I step aside. I step aside for the kids. Okay. Because they've okay. been watching me. I got I've you. Been right there. I got you. These I guys got been you. watching me too because so, I went too far. Okay. So I'm just letting you know, people are concerned. This is like this is like the fifth time we've heard about this. Okay. And oh, pe man. people are just pointing you out. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not. I'm happens. not. I'm not saying you're out here doing anything wrong and whatnot. I'm but saying I'm. I'm standing over there and people are coming up to us and saying hey there's a guy over there and everyone's pointing to you okay yeah. so right I mean, um, because actually they're saying they're getting in their faces and they're staring uh, the kids down i didn't no hell okay i okay. do that all right all right i don't do that shit. all right man you know what i mean so do that shit. the mayor's friend called her and said there's a man that seems like he's um Maybe on drugs, and he seems kind of weird, and and um, I feel uncomfortable with him. Her friend. So then she called her squadron, her police, and said, "Look out for this guy. He's there, and he looks like this and that." So at that point, he had already been profiled. So then, um, you see what ended up happening. After the mayor got word, the mayor got word of some guy from her friend, her old time friend. So then she alerted her goon squad. I'm sorry, Paulsbo Police Department. And then amongst thousands of white people, they were on this big tall native. It doesn't make sense to me. I seen the video. Sonny's standing there, looking around, looking around. You know what I think? I think maybe he wanted a cigarette. <laughs> That's what I think. I think he might have been looking around, seeing if there was a cigarette laying around anywhere. And then Craig Keller walked up on him. And then he automatically started trying to, like, put him in a, a little hold and do whatever he was doing to him. And Sonny was like, chill out, chill out. Stoney, chill out, chill out. You know what that means? That means, whoa, man, you're you're overreacting. Can you can you stop what you're doing? And then Stoney kind of broke free of him. And then he hopped over there. He didn't run. 
like that, he kind of hopped away a little bit, just only feet away. And then there were shots fired instantly. There wasn't no guy with a screwdriver threatening anybody. So if there was somebody said, hey, he has a screwdriver. Okay, so a man has a screwdriver in his hand. Let's just pretend the man had a screwdriver in his hand. Why would you shoot him in the fucking head? Because he had a screwdriver in his hand? Are you serious? And, And we don't even know if he had a screwdriver in his hand. We don't even know. But all I keep envisioning is, what if he had a screwdriver in his hand? He's trying to say, this is all I got. This is all I got. And he's trying to show, hey, this is what I got. I, I, I got the screwdriver. It's in my pocket. It's, it's, it's what I have. Please don't, you know. Like, he brought his children there every year since they were born. And this was one of the years, like, his children are teenagers and they didn't want to go hang out with daddy at the freaking show. How come anybody couldn't have been looking at it like maybe like how I look at it was, man, he was probably standing there looking at those kids, remembering how his babies used to climb on that and how he used to play with them. On the evening of July 3rd, 2019, Stoney Chiefstick attended a 3rd of July fireworks celebration with thousands of his neighbors on a park in the city of Paulsbow. He was reported to have acted erratically towards other attendees, uh, wielding some item described as a screwdriver. We're not aware of any reports that somebody was in imminent fear of harm or loss of life. The Paulsbow police were called arrived to the scene, and within 15 seconds of an encounter with Mr. Chiefstick, he was shot and killed. The four involved officers suggest that they feared for their life, but from what we have seen thus far, uh, that does not appear to be truthful, which is to say that we have far more questions than we currently have answers regarding how Stoney Chiefstick's life was taken at the hands of the Paulsville police. A few years ago, I was standing at a busy intersection in downtown Seattle, waiting for the light to change so I could cross the street. A woman to my right anticipated the light change and, without looking, started into the street. To my left, a car ran the red light and plowed right into her. Police came to take statements. They asked me what I saw. I told them the lady stepped off the sidewalk and the car ran the red light. The officer asked me if I saw the signal across the street change to walk. I said, yeah, the walk symbol definitely changed. Then I looked across the street. This intersection had no walk signal. The prosecutor's report relied heavily on eyewitness testimony. He put together short clips from multiple witnesses to create a narrative of what really happened. Here's another version of events told through eyewitness testimony. We've gone to this event a couple times, so uh, so we were all just in happy spirits, being silly, anticipating the normal 
chaos and making neighborly friends because everybody was squeezed in so tight to the grassy park area. And we were getting ready to start some dinner and have some snacks and whatnot. We were sitting down, um, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. We were standing up at the time. My husband looked around and he said, hey, something to the extent of, hey, what's going on behind me? He says he's got a screwdriver in his pocket and he keeps playing with it. And at that point, my husband was like, okay, this, like, we need to do something about it. We need to, like, like, you know, get this guy away from these children. There were officers kind of all over. You start noticing they're like, okay, they're closing in on us. And there were like three or four officers out in front closer to the rock. And they started walking up through the grass where everybody was. And that's when he's like, something's going to happen here. And I was looking right at them. He was kind of turned towards me talking, and I was watching all the officers walking through. And all of a sudden, I just saw all of their faces change. And they all just lunged into the crowd, whereas before they were just kind of walking through, trying to avoid everybody. And that's when I was like, oh, something's going to happen. Um, I heard a commotion behind us because we were facing the water. And so I immediately turned around and noticed... Um, um, a large, larger, uh, what looked, appeared to be a Latino man or a person of color. Um, yes, the officer went over to him to try and um, grab him or get him up or subdue him, um, to which he got out of the officer's grip, started moving away, and all of a sudden the officer had his gun up. Um, in his left hand, he had something that was shiny, which I can't really define much more than that, unfortunately. Well, he just seemed, he held it very high in his, um, up, like above his head almost, um, and just kind of, uh, he didn't seem to be pointing it at anyone. He just seemed to be, um, he had it in his hand and he was moving his hand around, but it didn't, um, uh, not like huge, like he would pull something out of your pocket and sort of go, you know, here it is, here it is, you know what I mean? He just sort of looked at him. I didn't, I didn't know if he said anything or not, but he started, he didn't run away, he started walking away. He was um, kind of lumbering over the people trying to quickly get away from the officer. Um, to me, it had looked like he had just gotten up and was walking away. I mean, and they grabbed him and they were all wrestling and there, there had to be at least four officers that had some sort of contact with the gentleman and I don't know how he broke free but he did and then he fell right onto that cart path and that's when we saw whatever he had go flying I didn't get a good look at what it was but you saw something fly and I thought it was a knife because that's what you usually assume somebody would have you know a screwdriver of some sort went flying through the air when he tripped over the kids and landed on them and went that way and that's when I started trying to back up our, our and that was that was prior to him that being was prior shot, yes okay. I heard the officer yell stop um, and then he landed on the ground and went to do like another hop like he was trying to get away from the officer or get through the crowd or whatever um, I mean his whole like his brain was he was jumping and you know and, and moving around pretty so more like flaily than and he tried to flee heading west on this path. And that's when the other officer engaged and fired two shots. I was very surprised at how quickly it escalated. 
just by what I saw. The amount of time between the police officer saying stop and the, the gun being fired could not have been more than one and a half to two seconds. There's, there's no way that it was more than that much time. That all happened so quickly. You know, it's like I don't even know what happened. It happened all at once. It wasn't like, oh, there's a hustle. Oh, you hear cops shouting. Oh, this guy's resisting or whatever. And oh, take out your video camera. Oh, now he got shot. It was just like, hey, look, turn my head, pop, pop. And it was over. I would say the whole thing happened in like a blink of an eye. So yeah. like you didn't, it wasn't like there was a pause. It was like he fell, he got up, he turned and went for him. They yelled at him. Took two, yeah. three steps, not large steps. That wasn't running, but took you know, a couple steps towards him. Like, I don't know, you know, maybe he may have moved, in my opinion, he may have moved three feet. It, you know, it was loud, it was noisy. I would assume that I was expected to hear more if from the situation, but I, I don't recall hearing anything. How many other people in the area would you guesstimate? I would probably overestimate somewhere between the two and three hundred. But, I mean, no one was really running, no one was yelling, no one was screaming. Because the last thing I would ever think would happen would be a person getting shot by a cop in a crowd of people. And so it felt like I watched a murder, like, is what it felt like. Uh, I was just shocked the bullet didn't go through. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was just like, wow, you know? Nobody else got hit or nothing, I was just shocked. And my husband, he is very shaken up by this um, because he realizes that he was in the line of fire. Um, he, we were the only people walking directly next to um, the suspect as he was being shot. It's like when he was shot, did they like, did they immediately start CPR and, no. or was it like he too, like, did they whisk him to an ambulance or? No, no, there was quite a bit of time, probably, there's probably at least five to seven minutes before um, emergency services, like, got there, mm -hmm. and I, I don't think I saw any CPR being performed, but I was more worried about getting my family out of that Absolutely. situation at yeah. that point. Um, and then it took a little while for the um, medics to come in. Um, they were definitely the uh, slower group to show up. If you listen to Channel 13 this morning, he's on his video, on his phone saying that they wrestled with him and uh, he started running, but he never did none of that. A lot of it was made up, too. It was like I was right there and some people were saying stuff that didn't even happen. I just noticed um, as I came around, somebody said shooter, and I don't think they knew what was going on. And then the crowd just, everybody panicked and ran and was like trampled. And that's why I just took cover. Yeah, you sure heard all the stories in the parking lot. <laughs> it was like, some girl got shot in the face. I was like, oh my God, you people. <laughs> um, walking around, I heard people saying, oh, he was trying to um, stab people with a um, screwdriver. Oh, he had a knife. Oh, he had a gun. Um, I heard somebody and i apologize that i can't pinpoint who it is but i heard them say that that husband said he's mumbling under his breath i'm going to stab these kids that is not something that i heard this gentleman say 
I heard he was fighting with somebody on the dock. I don't know that if that's why he was originally. Um, somebody called you guys or not? I'm okay. Not, so. Okay. And when you said you heard this, who did you who did you hear this from? Just people walking. I, I go. I, okay. Yeah. I go. Oh, that guy's he's fighting with people on the dock or something like that. Okay. You heard him say that or tell kids that he was going to stab him with a screwdriver? No, I never heard that. No, this was another another gentleman. He's the one that came up and was telling us that. Yeah, this guy's, uh, he's got a screwdriver in his pocket, um, he's creeping me and my family out, so we're gonna get out of here. Did you actually hear him say that, or did you just hear somebody talk about hearing him say that? I, I thought I heard, I thought I heard him say something, but I wasn't quite sure what he said. So somebody else told you that that's what he said? Yeah. Okay. One of the parents that were there said that. Earlier you said that, uh, um, you knew he, he was harassing people. He looked drunk, and it's like, it's just his demeanor and the way okay. he's talking, and just okay. like, oh yeah, and like arguing with okay. people. And did you have any direct contact with no. with him? Okay. Mm-hmm. Did your wife have any direct no. contact? Okay. Most of the witness interviews came after media reports of the event, which is why you hear people assuming it was a screwdriver and making other general assumptions. These are witnesses that came forward as well. It's possible people who also think they witnessed a murder at the hands of police don't want to come forward to the police. Study after study has proven that memories and individual perceptions can be unreliable, manipulated, and biased. Does it make sense then to base an entire legal argument on witness testimony? Officers' statements are even worse. Let's disregard for a moment that their witness statements were developed with the assistance of investigators and their lawyer. Using the body cam video, we can prove the four officers have a litany of factual inaccuracies in their statements. Officer Lom states, quote, I then put my hand on my holster, but immediately moved it to the taser, but did not pull it out, end quote. This is not a true statement. The body cam video clearly shows Officer Lom removing his taser from its holster. Officer Wheeler says Stoney was, quote, moving or swaying back and forth to the right and left, motioning his hands in a come-on fashion, end quote. And he was, quote, hunched over in an aggressive fighting stance, end quote. This is not supported by any other witness account or the body cam video. Officer San Gill, before making contact with Stoney, quote, heard Officer Keller give directives for the suspect to get to the ground, end quote. This did not happen. Officer San Gill says, quote, I gave directives for the suspect to get to the ground, end quote. Again, this was not captured on the video. He says Officer Keller gave, quote, multiple loud, clear verbal commands, end quote. This too is not true. There were multiple commands shouted by multiple people, none of them clear. Officer San Gill claims to have also given commands such as, quote, drop the screwdriver. These commands were not captured on video. It should be noted that at this point in the incident, Officer Sangill is standing almost directly over the body cam, so if he said anything, it should have been captured. Directly contradicting Officer Wheeler's testimony of the hunched-over fighting stance, Officer Sangill says Stoney, quote, suddenly made a forward advancement toward Officer Keller by taking a step in Officer Keller's direction. The suspect was standing fully upright and heading toward Officer Keller, end quote. 
Perhaps Officer Keller's statement is the most sinister account. He says Stoney tried to stab him twice. This statement is not even backed up by his fellow officers. He goes on to say, quote, Mr. Chiefstick's actions were totally unprovoked, end quote. This is the biggest lie of all. individual subjected to the force was rendered unconscious, an individual was struck or kicked, or they allege that any of the above has occurred. So now to the fun videos. Back in the Polsbo PD use of force training, the fun videos these officers are about to watch are instances of police violence that led to officers being criminally charged and fired for their abuses. In this clip, officers order a man out of his car at gunpoint. The man exits the vehicle with his hands raised. The officer then punches him in the face. The man is handcuffed and placed on the ground in a prone position. While he's lying there, another officer approaches the scene and stomps on the man's face. The man had been suspected of driving with a suspended license. They later found marijuana in his car. So, where did the excessive use of force happen? Definitely the kick. Definitely the kick. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what happened there with the punch or what was being said or if the guy said, I'm going to kill you or... But he had his hands up. So, was he actively resisting? There's no difference between this or this. Okay. And I don't know that I would use a punch there, but... I mean, if the, he was being told to stand against the car and he wasn't or whatever, I don't know. But that officer would end up the second officer. Definitely for that. And let's look at the reasonableness of what the crime was that he was being stopped for, right? Because that's going to be a factor in a determination. Oh, well, is that a felony on the federal? Well, no. I'm betting the weed came after it. That's my guess as well. Um, so we're looking at a suspended license, a driver on a suspended license who is pulled out of the car uh, at gunpoint because I don't know if you noticed the officer had his weapon out at first when he pulled him out of the car. Maybe he smelled the weed too. He holstered it and then he punched him in the head. Uh, and then we have a second officer who's arriving as backup who runs up and kicks this guy in the it's really incredible to hear the lengths these officers will go to justify brutality. And in this case, they know it was wrong. The instructor told them the officers had been fired and charged with crimes. Yet they can't help themselves, each one making excuses for the officer's behavior. And these are people these officers don't even know. Beyond that, the instructor never corrects them. She never calls them out to say, Look, guys, I'm telling you what they did was wrong. I'm showing you what they did was wrong. Please don't do this. Instead of a training course on what not to do, it sounds like a brainstorming session on how to excuse police violence. So you start to see things like, I feared for my life. That is to suggest, one, that there was sort of justifiable action taken to, you know, fire or choke or suffocate and kill. But it also plays into the idea that perhaps this man, when, of course, the body cam footage suddenly disappears 
or the body cam was never activated, this man or woman perhaps were in the process of committing some felony assault upon an officer, which under the state felonious conduct statute disallows the estate from any recovery. Uh, there's also the qualified immunity defense. But the point is things like I feared for my life, the cell phone looked like a gun, he lunged at me, uh, as you see in the investigation. That's all designed within minutes to hours of the fatality to foreclose the criminal prosecution and to insulate the officer and jurisdiction from civil liability. Here's one witness I do believe. Ohitika taken alive. Stoney and Trishandra raised him together. Here he is talking about seeing Stoney, who he calls his dad, on the side of the street just hours before the shooting. He was walking and I seen my dad, so I picked him up. It was at that new AM PM next to Sonic. Okay. So I picked him up and went to the park to go eat. He was just right, he was just walking right there. I was like, hey dad, jump in. And then he just kind of looked at me. And I was like, dad. Then he seen it was me because he has poor eyesight and ran across the street and jumped in. Ohitika is directly across the street from Stoney, and Stoney can't tell who it is because of his bad eyesight. So it's possible, then, that by not announcing himself as police when Officer Keller ran up on Stonechild and attempted to grab him, that Stoney didn't even know the guy assaulting him was a police officer. So, um, just from your brief interaction, the odor, uh, was there, would you... Would it be your opinion that he was under the influ- influence of alcohol or drugs? Or? Uh, definitely under the influence of alcohol. Okay. And what, aside from the odor, what else did he have? Slurred speech, red watery eyes, uh, difficulty walking or standing? His eyes were watery. Mm-hmm. Um, he was speaking so soft that I, once again, I couldn't under- fully understand what he was saying. You know, I keep sure. have to ask him, hey, can you repeat, re- you know, repeat your name? Repeat. Sure. This and that, so uh, he just he told him his name was Stonechild, and then he, he gave some other name. I don't even know if he was actually speaking, you know, complete sentences at that point. Stoney's blood alcohol content was .068. For a guy Stoney's size, that's between three and four alcoholic beverages. That's below legal limit in the U.S. Also, if you drink often, which Stoney did, you may not have any symptoms of being drunk. However, multiple officers claim Stoney, quote, smelled of alcohol and seemed drunk with glassy eyes. We have an officer claiming Stoney was fine, then less than an hour later, visibly intoxicated. Additionally, toxicology reports claim Stoney had tested positive for methamphetamine at 0.20 milligrams per liter. A study in the Journal of Analytical Toxicology reported that, quote, post-mortem blood concentrations are roughly one and a half times greater than anti-mortem concentrations, end quote. Meaning that when you die, the concentration is roughly one and a half times greater than when alive. That could mean he wasn't even high on meth at the time. The North Carolina Office of the Chief Medical Examiner's classification table places that concentration nearer the therapeutic area than the toxic area. It should be noted, too, that meth can also stay in your system for up to three days. Was Stoney drunk? It's doubtful. Was he high on meth? It's possible, but again, maybe not. According to the autopsy reports, both bullets entered at a downward trajectory. Stoney was over six feet tall. Officer Keller is well under six feet tall. 
At the moment of the shooting, Stoney was standing on slightly higher ground than Officer Keller. So how then did the first shot enter at a downward angle? Maybe this lunge that people saw was Stoney falling. Maybe he was surrendering. Maybe he was complying with officers when they told him to quote, get down on the ground. I've analyzed the body cam video more than I care to think about. If there was any lunging or stabbing or violence against Officer Keller, it would have had to come in the 10 frames of video where Stoney and Officer Keller are both out of frame. And I'm being charitable here. You can see Officer Keller with his gun pointed charging Stoney. And while you lose sight of the gun, you can still see Officer Keller all the way up to when the shots are fired. 10 frames at 24 frames per second is 0.42 seconds. In 0.42 seconds, Stoney attempted to lunge at Officer Keller and stab him twice. Does that add up to you? Perhaps Officer Sangill has the most accurate description of this lunge when he says in his statement, the suspect then suddenly made a forward advancement toward Officer Keller by taking a step in Officer Keller's direction. And he took a step forward towards that cop. Okay. When you say he moved to the right, was that to his right or to your right as you're facing? To his right. To his right. Okay. So he took a step to his right and then there was a police officer there and then he took a step towards that police officer? Yes. Towards that same one? Yes. Okay. And is that the police officer that shot him? No. It was a different the police officer that shot him was to my right. Did he move toward that officer at any point? Not that I'm aware of, no. When we lose sight of Stoney in the video, he's not even in a position to see Officer Keller. He's got his eyes on Officer Sangill and Lom, who are directly in front of him. Over the next two seconds, Officer Keller charges Stoney, shouts to get on the ground, and less than one second later, shoots Stoney in the face and chest. I still wonder, what is the intent behind charging someone with your gun? What's the anticipated outcome? And what, uh, where was the screwdriver located in proximity to the deceased or to the person who had been shot? The screwdriver was maybe 20 feet away from him. The location of the screwdriver also remains unexplained. Some witnesses say it flew out of his hand before the shooting. Some say he had it in his grip when he died. Others say he dropped it. What's extraordinary is the actual location of the screwdriver. In most of the crime scene photos, the screwdriver is so far away it's not even in the picture. Doing some rudimentary measurements, I calculate it to be upwards of 15 to 20 feet behind Stoney. Officer Sangill says that after Stoney was shot, he, quote, still had the screwdriver in his hand. We gave him directives to release the screwdriver, but he did not drop the weapon or move at all, end quote. Officer Wheeler says, quote, I observed the screwdriver lying on the ground next to the subject, end quote. And Officer Lom says, quote, the screwdriver was approximately five to ten feet behind where the male was standing, end quote. The fact that there are still huge unanswered questions about the events of July 3rd, 2019 is a big indicator of an investigation that has not exhausted all leads. There has been no analysis of the crime scene. There has been no consideration of Officer Keller's previous conduct. There has been no diligence in analyzing witness statements, particularly those of the officers involved. What really happened then?
When you take away witness statements, all that's left is the body cam. Here's the entire interaction. Get your hand out of your pocket. Hey, chill out, chill out. Thirteen seconds. There's one more account to take into consideration. Let's take a minute to try to see this interaction through Stoney's eyes. You're at a park, waiting for the fireworks. A man approaches quickly from behind you, yelling to get your hands out of your pockets. You're startled. You put your hands out to defend yourself, saying, chill out, chill out. Suddenly, another man grabs your other arm. You spin out of their control. People are trying to fight you. People are screaming things at you. Before you can figure out what's happening, there's a man with a gun two feet away from your face. You flinch. <laughs> Next time on The Killing of Stonechild Chief Stick. To get involved in Stoney's case, go to stonechildpodcast.com slash support. If you like this podcast, give it a review on your listening platform. Special thank you to my Patreon supporters. Your giving has allowed further investigation into this case. Last week, I had a conversation with Russell Brown, the executive director of the Washington Association of Prosecuting Attorneys. We talked about the current debate amongst prosecutors about removing the charging decision from their office in cases of officer-involved violence. Hear that conversation and access more content at patreon.com slash domcampeace.